We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Treat dad to the good stuff at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts dad will love up to 60% off. Shirts, activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama, Cole Haan, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make Dad's Day with gifts up to 60% off. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. I just admire so much your content and how you show up on social media. So I'm just excited to talk to you more about like how you started to share that process, how you even went through that process yourself. And I just am really impressed by all that, that you've done. Like you're a very impressive woman. Oh my gosh, Hannah, that that makes me feel so great. I appreciate the compliments. And as you know, I'm a big fan of you, not a secret fan. I'm like loud and proud. We were like, yes, team Hannah. Um, but thanks. I appreciate that. It means a lot. And I'm happy to, you know, talk about everything. A, a lot's gone into kind of getting me where I was. I didn't plan to ever be a creator or where I am now. So super blessed and grateful for the whole journey. Yeah. I think you have, um, just a lot, like your life as I've like researched you, uh, you have had just a really like impressive, incredible career. I feel like in how you've gotten to the place, but also been very honest about how it hasn't always been easy and what you've learned through being a high achiever. Um, but I feel like that always starts somehow in childhood. So I kind of want to go all the way back to like, what was your childhood like? Yeah, I grew up in a town um, of like what I like to say, white picket fences. Every family was presumably perfect. And the Christmas cards were always a competition. Um, Not really, but you know, like it was through the families and the moms. Um, I was very privileged, um, and I grew up, yeah, like very blessed, um, with my two brothers I'm a middle child and my parents. And I think a lot of my personality is the result of like two things. My parents always used to tell me my dad always used to say, you can be anything that you want to be. 
And my mom would say, you have to, if you want something, you have to make it happen. And so I think if I combine my dad saying like the sky is the limit, but then my mom saying, well, then you have to go do the things to get there. Um, it, those are like really guiding phrases I think that have helped shape who I am, but to the whole, you know, aura of this town, I definitely think I, you know, was raised in that mindset of, okay, like I'm going to make varsity and I'm going to get good grades and I'm going to go to a good college and I'm going to be, you know, popular and I'm going to, I'm going to achieve. Like achieving for me was almost synonymous with who I was. It wasn't even like this added special thing. It was just, that's what I do. Um, and I didn't really recognize that pattern or the pressure I put on myself until I was in college and started to be faced with a lot of, uh, reality. I very much, um, feel that because I also, I feel like my parents also wanted me to dream big and, but kind of like lived a little bit through me, I feel like, and they know that I say that. Uh, but yeah, I think there was also other, I just wanted to make them proud and, and, I also think my person, my identity was synonymous with achieving because that's how you get valid and validation. I loved it. I loved being, being the best, um, which obviously has gotten us both to this place where we have this platform. I think it's great to have and like that your parents instilled that in you in a young age, but it is easy to kind of take it too far and not really serve yourself the best way because you just want to be the best. Um, one thing you said is that you're a middle child and I, my boyfriend, Adam is a middle child. And I think he, he always talks about like he has middle child syndrome. Do you feel like you have that at all? Like, did you have any like stories you told yourself about being a middle child? Because for him, I feel like he, he was very, animated and loud, but I think he wanted to be seen. Did you have that at all? I think because I was the only girl, I almost feel like I was more, that was my title as opposed to middle child. And, you know, I was daddy's girl and mommy's girl because I was the only girl. And I remember my parents would maybe get me like, you know, Uggs for Christmas and then be like, thank God you don't have sisters because we're getting you Uggs and we're getting you this, you know, because I was the only girl. And they're like, if we had another daughter, you know, we would not spoil you like this. So I knew that was always, you know, a big part of, I guess, like my role in the family was I was the girl and I'm like princess was always the contact in my mom's phone for the longest time. Um, and I definitely liked it. I think I liked being the only girl. I don't think I would have wanted to have a sister. I have a, some amazing friendships in my life with my best friends for like decades. And I don't even know if I would have those friendships if I had had that in a sister. So I'm also grateful that I was the only girl. Oh, same. Because <laughs> I don't want to have to, I didn't want to have to fight for, I have a half sister, but she was, she's 13 years older than me. So we didn't really have any like, overlap of like where we were in life um are are in life now I think definitely more because we're both adults but I I've only dated guys that have had brothers no sisters I'm the only girl and I love it that way because you don't have to compete with who's the princess you can just <laughs> it's, amazing. 
I had the title. You could be the one. And I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I never thought about like the people that I've dated, but I haven't dated that many people. But my husband has three brothers. So. See, and you get to be the girl. Mm-hmm. Say the princess. Yeah. I think um, I totally agree with that. Uh, you talked a lot. It seems like your family was like very close. You're very close to them and supportive in all that you've achieved, specifically talking about, I guess, the first love in your life, it seems was, was volleyball. So were they really supportive of, you know, your vision for what you wanted in life? They definitely were. I, when I look at the fact that I really wanted to do well and achieve. It's interesting because I never felt like if I didn't, my parents wouldn't love me or they'd be mad at me. Like, so then I start to question like, okay, was I just innately born this way? Because there wasn't like a threat or a fear if I didn't do well. It was just kind of what I thought that I had to do. Um, and I liked it as well. And with volleyball, you know, coming out of middle school, I played all the sports um, in eighth grade. My dad references this all the time. And I'm like, dude, I was literally like 13, 12. It doesn't matter. But I was athlete of the year um, because I played like basketball and volleyball and soccer and I did it all. Um, and then when it was time for high school, I don't even remember having like a sit down decision of like, which sport am I going to play? It was just volleyball because I had the most fun playing it because I was good at it. And, um, you know, I had joined a club team in eighth grade and I just in high school wanted to make the 14s team. And then I wanted to make the 15s and I wanted to make varsity. Like, so I never sat and said, volleyball is the one I, I love. Let me quit all the other ones. But naturally, because I did love the game more, you know, that's just where I swayed. And my parents were super supportive, despite the fact that we missed like every Father's Day, Mother's Day, Thanksgiving, you know, every holiday, Labor Day, 4th of July, because of tournaments. My older brother was a golfer and he golfed at UCLA. So they were used to like sacrificing a lot for having an athlete child. So being the second, I felt like they kind of knew the rodeo. Um, And when I was in high school, like I really wanted to play in college. Like there wasn't a in my head, a scenario where I wouldn't continue playing because sports was such a part of my life and they were super supportive of that as well. And, you know, I am really grateful for parents who allowed me to do those things and also that I had the opportunity to be on a club team and for them to drive and take time off and support me. I love that. I wonder though, you said you have been in therapy, right? therapy. Yes. Lots of therapy. Perfect. I think my toxic trait is thinking I am a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Look, one thing about me is I can be pretty bougie when it comes to my water. And if you're like me, you do not trust tap water. Like, no, no, no. That th- that stuff needs to be filtered and purified in some way. That's where AquaTrue comes in. So AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no insulation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS These filters are affordable and long-lasting, so like no changing the filter every two to three months. AquaTrue filters last from six months to two years. So I just got my AquaTrue purifier in the mail, and I am so excited about this because 
Um, like I said, I can be a little picky when it comes to my water. And for a while was really just trying to use the filter in our refrigerator. But I just, I could tell it wasn't tasting right, y'all. It wasn't tasting right. And then started buying bottled water, but I really don't want to do that. So this is like going to be a game changer. I'm so excited. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code Hannah B at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use promo code H-A-N-N-A-H-B, Hannah B. Where are my engaged girls? Congrats. You're engaged. So am I. Now you may be like me wondering what's next. If you're planning a wedding, the first thing you need to know about is Zola. Zola has everything you need to plan your wedding in one place, including venue options and all your vendors. Plus, you can get designs, save the dates, and invites, build a free wedding website, create your registry, and stay on track and on budget throughout the entire process with their free planning tools. Zola has created everything you need to make the whole process super easy and hopefully actually enjoyable. There's even a five-star app that helps you plan on the go or on the couch. Look, I have just now opened the can of worms of all that is wedding planning, but I'm so thankful for Zola because it can help make wedding planning so much easier for all of us engaged girlies. We need to be having fun. We need to be excited. It doesn't need to be a stressful process. And I feel like Zola can really help us engaged girlies enjoy this time of our life because we are celebrating the love that we have created and this beautiful new chapter in our life. And we do not need to be crying over napkins and invitations. So Zola's got us covered. Start planning at Zola.com. That's Z-O-L-A.com. Although I'm not there yet myself, I know a lot of you listening have children and want to set up your child for success. So IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Oh my gosh, I wish I would have had IXL when I was going through school because I really needed that extra help just to like get things implemented into my brain so that I could really know what I was learning and not just be like, I don't know, I had a good memory, but I don't think I actually learned something, but that's really through repetition and I feel like IXL is wonderful for that. I think this is such a wonderful product for anybody who's like just struggling with a topic or just trying to get ahead, study for a test. It really can help in so many ways. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Better Tomorrow with Hannah Brown listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash Hannah B. Visit IXL.com slash Hannah B to get the most effective learning program out there for the best price. It seems like you have a great, like I said, great relationship with your parents. They've been so supportive, but through therapy, have you, um, like, has there been anything that obviously probably wasn't intentional that you realized that maybe you internalized that like 
your parents like didn't, I feel like all parents kind of F us up a little bit, but anything that you've realized, because for me, it's very obvious some of the ways that like my parents, my parents fought a lot. There's no like denying that there were some things in my childhood that stuck with me. Adam has like this perfect, sweet family. And I think sometimes it's hard for him to like identify like, oh, that kind of hurt me. That, that just passing thing that my mom said, maybe, you know, stuck with me for a while. Have you had any of those experiences um, where you've been like, oh, there was just this one thing that my parents said or did that kind of impacted me? Maybe, I don't want to say in a negative way, but to have to go on a journey. A hundred percent. And I feel like that's just life. And I don't, one of my things I'm self-conscious of is people thinking I have the perfect family. Mm-hmm. I think they do see I post my mom a lot. I post my dad. I, we do lots of family dinners. My parents live close. And I am self-conscious that like I don't want someone to internalize it and think I have a perfect family and we never fight and we don't have our shit because we have our shit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I even said in a therapy yesterday to my therapist, I was like, isn't it crazy when you realize you literally are your mom? I'm like, I'm doing the shit that I didn't like that she did to me and I'm now doing it. Um, and you know, I think, and my mom, uh, that's, that's also the interesting thing in Hannah, I'm sure you relate to this as well. Like I'm super open and I talk about all my problems and my flaws and everything. My family did not subscribe to do what I do. And so I walk this tightrope of wanting to be real and authentic, but also not every story is mine to tell. But I know I can talk about my mom because my mom has been loving the clout recently on Instagram. She like <laughs> says, she's like, should I go in public and be an influencer? I'm like, no, please. I'm like, you're such a liability. I'm like, only when I filter you through my page. But my mom... I very much want my mom's approval, very much. Like it is extremely difficult for me to do anything if my mom does not like it. Um, and that is just what I know. I don't, I, I, if I go to get lunch with my mom or something, I just know she's going to look at what I'm wearing. She's going to look to see if my toenails are painted. She's going to look to see. And my mom is the best. And like, she'll come over and my apartment's a shit show. And like, it's not like she's going to be mad at me, but deep down, I'm like, I need my mom's approval. And, you know, even planning my wedding, it felt like, did I really want it that way? Or did I just do it that way? Because I know that's what my mom wants. And I always want what my mom wants. And so I've had recent like exposures where I've been trying to do more of the thing that makes me happy, not just because my mom would like it. You know, I sent out my first Christmas card the last holiday season because my husband and I, it was our first Christmas married. And I was adamant that I would make the card and not get my mom's approval. And that was really hard for me because I knew my mom would co- would comment on the picture or the font or she's just very critical. And it was really hard for me to make a Christmas card. Although I will say, I think I did it thinking about what my mom would like. So I'm still in the <laughs> trap, even though I didn't get the approval. But yeah, I think that's something that I'm always working through and thinking about is like, you know, really needing my mom's sign off on everything. I totally relate. (laughs) I was, had a very codependent relationship with my mom. Well, I think that my, I, I also have this, um, like white pick, it's like stay behind the white picket fence mentality because whenever I was growing up and we had things going on, it was don't tell anyone, like don't even tell your friends because this neighborhood talks, like it was like wisteria lane. And I, 
you know, like there are things that like I've dealt with my whole life and I haven't even told like my bestest friends until the most recent years because I just had been taught like protect family, never talk about family. And then my therapist was like, then who's going to support you? And I was like, well, well, my, my mom. And she's like, well, like, you know, like you just, just helping me better understand. And then, so then I talked to my mom and I was like, mom, I love you. And I I'm 26. I can talk about my life to like people and be open and my best friends. And like, I think too, she comes from like her mom as well. And my mom and I, we always joke. She's like, my mom is making me, she's like, I don't have boundaries with my mom. So why do you get to set boundaries with me? And I'm like, so you want me to be Ms. the way that you are because you don't have boundaries with Yaya. I'm like, I'm trying to rewrite the narrative. So she's also so cool and with it. And we joke about all of this. This is so like one of my something like in my life with my one of my best friends and with Adam and my family, I think for us with that white, I wanted to portray white picket fence, but we were not white picket fence. And we had so many like just big T traumas and things that you couldn't cover, like cover up. But I tried so hard to, I'm like, get it together, everyone. Let's like, I would be the one that's like, make sure your shirt's tucked in and everybody smile. Let's yeah. go. Like 10 years old. Um, but I think that's why my parents are kind of like, they weren't wanting me to hide stuff. It was me hiding things. So there's kind of just been like more of this liberation and be like, no, this was all messed up. Like y'all, like we can talk about it and grow from it. But like one of my best friends and even Adam, like there wasn't anything that was when you have that white picket fence, like person, like everybody thinks that of your family, I think it's way harder to kind of go on that journey of um, even admitting that anything was bad because you're so grateful for the life that you had and you, oh, you didn't have to struggle in that way. And like, oh, your parents always got along or they always were supportive and at every game and were able to visit, uh, uh, manage like, working and being at home for you. I think that's even harder to kind of work through some of the stuff because you feel bad. Um, and I think it, it takes a while to kind of go on that journey of, Oh, like my parents are awesome. My family is great. There are still some things that we need to work through as a family. And it's okay for me to have a voice now to say, Hey, this, is something that I want to, I want to change. Like you saying, like having boundaries with your mom. I think that's really cool how you're, you are changing the narrative. I had to do that too. The boundaries, like I don't, um, there are certain things that I've had to like put my foot down on. I don't think I could have done it had it been that we weren't like separated by her being so in Alabama and California, that kind of helped me create not be as dependent on her but even having those tough conversations with people that love you um i think it's necessary but it it is really tough especially when on the outside and you do believe that you've had you know a pretty great life we're all living this stuff (laughs) i guilt trip myself a lot and i'm comforted to know that you do the same because like both my parents loved me so much. I had every opportunity that I could want growing up, like, you know, and so then I, I, 
think to myself, well, I could have had my big T trauma and not have loving parents and not had the opportunity to play club volleyball, you know? So we can always do that to ourselves. And I think it is important to have perspective. It's important to have perspective, to recognize privilege, to acknowledge the differences that we have from other people. And Mm -hmm. you're a human who can be sad and disappointed and upset about something happening in your life. You know, both can exist. And so that's kind of how I've been um, working through it. I literally was journaling yesterday and talking about just the guilt tripping that I have. And then I was like, okay, so then what am I saying? Like, if you are, like, if you're drowning at two feet, you should act fine just because you're not drowning at 10 feet. Like, you're both drowning. Like, you know, so I think that's something that I'm working on now. Yeah, I I love that you're saying, like, you have to have perspective and acknowledge how you have privilege in some way but in that you also don't have to um not acknowledge that your feelings and happy all the time that's impossible yeah. no one is happy all the time and so me telling myself i should always just look at the bright side and smack a smile on and do my gratitude like that's not being human and you know if we don't allow ourselves to feel and have the emotions then they're going to fester. And we, so I'm a big believer in letting it surface, having the cry sesh, and then you get through things faster. So that's, that's bringing me to what I wanted to talk about next is you've talked openly about struggling with your mental health and depression. And I also um, talk about my struggles with depression at certain times. And I think for me getting the help I needed, um, it went so long without that because of almost feeling guilty for feeling sad and not knowing, did you struggle with that? And when was the first time you noticed you were kind of struggling with sadness in your life? So I had been very fortunate to not experience any mental health issues up until I got to college. So until I was 18 years old, I didn't experience anxiety, depression, um, anything like that. And even when kids did in school, I didn't understand because I was so social and so vocal and outgoing and happy. And I didn't like, it didn't make sense to me why someone couldn't feel the way that I felt. Um, you know, that is obviously so ignorant, but we, as we go through life, we learn things and we meet more people and we have our own experiences and we grow. And, uh, in college I played volleyball at USC. So I went from Northern California to Southern California and, Although it was my dream to be playing college volleyball and especially be in the Pac-12, it was very intense and very demanding. And I quickly developed anxiety during my freshman year, just unable to sleep, constantly worrying, constantly afraid of failing, of making a mistake. I uh, was playing on the number one team in the country and I was a starting. So I was on the court and like I touched the ball and I I could be the reason we lose. I could be the reason my teammates get upset. I could get benched. You know, it felt like there was so much pressure and it was so highlighted because we were on TV and everyone was watching from my hometown. Um, So I developed performance anxiety and then didn't tell anyone because I'm the achiever. I'm the go-getter. I always know. I, I don't like, I don't have problems is what I would tell myself. So I didn't even know what I was experiencing. I, I, I couldn't even recognize it was anxiety because I could not 
believe a world where I have anxiety because I had so stigmatized the mental health conversation in my head. And I think the athlete component of it is important as well because, you know, I'm raised thinking I'm strong, I'm tough, I block out pain, I get it done, I don't make excuses. And that mentality, you know, and then viewing mental health as this supposed weakness, it was never something I wanted to identify with. So I was in deep denial of this anxiety. And then my sophomore year, because I hadn't acknowledged anything that I was going through, I also had a binge eating disorder my freshman year of college. So both of that, um, I came back depressed, like so depressed. Um, Not myself, not bubbly, not outgoing. I spring break, my friends went to Cabo. I went home and laid on my mom's couch and just cried and slept because I didn't have energy or desire to do anything. Um, and you know, eventually I got to a place where I would think and fantasize about like how to pause my life, how to just like get out of this monotonous routine of having so much required of me every single day to be a student athlete and feeling like I had literally nothing in me. So that's how I, um, you know, fell into my first depressive episode. And as far as getting help and how I dealt with that and processed it, um, it was very hard for me to like go to that therapy appointment for the first time. And I only got the courage to go because I had a teammate who told me she was going. And so that made me feel like, okay, if you're going, I can go. Um, And I just remember my first session just hysterically crying. I I barely, I think I got barely five words out because I was so sad. I finally felt like I was in a place where I could feel. And I also was just almost like when I, when I have this memory, I see it happening. So, and I saw this TikTok that was like, when you think of it, your memory is, do you see it from your own eyes or is someone like watching you do it? And I think this to me felt so out of body because I was like, I'm Victoria. Like I am starting on a D1 team. I'm at my dream school. I am an achiever. I'm liked by people. I get like, I, this is not me. I'm not sitting in a chair right now, like feeling like my life is a mess, but it was me. And it was so much to process and it took me time. And after that first session, I was really wigged out and it, and I took me a while to then make another appointment and find a different therapist that I felt like I clicked with. And then I started to do the work and then I started to talk and I started to recognize, you know, that I, all this anxiety was coming from this belief that I literally cannot fail. And, you know, my therapist then asking me, why do you think that? Like, and then it's like, I'd never even looked back on childhood and recognized the pattern of achievement. Um, and I started to do the work and I started to heal and I started to recognize I'm 18 and I'm, you know, playing next to 22 year olds and I'm, you know, there's all this pressure and it makes sense. It makes so much sense that I'm struggling and I wasn't prepared and I've don't have the coping skills yet because I've, no one's ever taught me them. And that was another thing that I realized is like, I've always been encouraged to work with a tutor or study extra to get good grades. I've always been encouraged to go to the gym and work out to be stronger and faster. You know, everyone wants you to be the best that you can be, except when it comes to your mental health, it's suddenly like not cool to go talk to a professional about your emotions and the things that are, that you don't know. And it's like, so it's, 16, 18 from birth, we're just telling people, you should know how to deal with the hard shit that happens in your life and have no problems. Like, that's what I thought. So as I realized all this, you know, I started to feel less like 
I, there was something inherently wrong with me and I recognized a problem, which was we weren't talking about mental health. People weren't understanding mental health. And it was especially unique within the culture of competitive athletics. And so that's what led me to want to share my story and speak out. And um, it truly came from a desire and like a frustration for what happened to me and not wanting that to happen to others. And that was the first time I found my voice and I uh, delivered a TED talk in college. And that's what has led me here. So, you know, to what you've shared as well, Hannah, with your story, like I don't regret anything I've been through because I don't know where I'd be without it. Mm -hmm. You said so many great like truth bombs and things I want to talk about further. Um, One thing when you're talking about like seeing, like seeing yourself and all these experiences, when you were talking, I was going, my brain was going back to these moments of myself in college. That was when I first got help as well. Um, I think it happens for a lot of people. I can't imagine being a student athlete on top of just um, going to college, being on your own for the first time. And like you, for some people, I think it's great. They have, you get to create a new identity. For me, I was trying to hold on to my old identity in a, in a time that um, I, 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 it wasn't true anymore. Um, And so when you were talking about like going home on your um, spring break, like I did the same things. I was so, um, I was trying to be Miss Alabama. That's the way that I thought I was going to get out of Alabama. And, you know, that comes with all of its own things about, you know, body image and the way you look. And, um, but before that I was just such, everything I did was to, to be the best so that my resume was just stacked for that, like even more than college, which is crazy. But like, I, um, you know, was miss everything in, in high school. And then you get to a school where everybody was miss everything. You're a small fish in a big pond now. And it's like, it's competitive. It's competitive. And then same thing with, I mean, thinking about sports, it's like, you could be the best, you know, on your team in high school, but then you, when you're up against all these other athletes, you're suddenly, you can't have that identity anymore. Um, or you're, you're chasing it so hard. And I ran myself just absolutely miserable because I had to have, I had to make good grades. I had to be in every club. I had to be involved in, I, yeah, I became a shell of my person of, a person. And so you talking about that, I'm sure there's a lot of people, a lot of people too, were having their own visuals or, or feel like, oh my gosh, she's describing me right now. And what I love about your story is how, yes, it took you a while to get help. But um, for me, it was so taboo. Like therapy, I knew one girl that went to therapy and she went, she drove two hours away to go. And I think there's the stigma, like you said, we're trying to change it. And it's because of people like you. Um, And, but you being like in that leadership position and going and also that it's hard how you started with someone and like, then it took you a while to go back. Like it is because you are breaking open the dam 
when, and it's, I think for me, I'm like, oh, I can't do this because it's going to interfere with all the things that I have to do. Um, because it's, I, it's like, you don't even have time. I don't have time. I don't have time to have a breakdown. And, um, for me, I got put on anti- an antidepressant and never went to therapy or saw a psychiatrist, which is alarming. It was great. Yeah, you're like, wait, they're supposed to work hand in hand. I was put on Le- uh, Lexapro, Live Love Lexapro. Oh, I was also an effector for forever. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad because I remember, in, in one sense, I remember feeling like myself again for the first time and just being like, oh, like, this is what it's supposed to feel like. Um, because I was just so sad. And you talking about um, the first time you, you went to therapy for me, it was the first time somebody asked me if I was happy. And it was that doctor I said, are you happy? And I same. I think we have so much in common about our, our stories. Like I was always, this, I smile at inappropriate times all the time. And so nobody had ever asked me that in my entire life, if I was happy. And I was like, no, and I haven't been for a long time. And I just weeped there. And I was put on medication still, obviously probably should have gone to therapy. Um, and it took a while to get there, but I just really commend you at such a young age. Um, you not only like started doing the work, but then started sharing the work for me, it was still something I felt embarrassed by. And my family wasn't all that supportive at first as, as well. Um, until it got to the point where I was like, we can't pretend this is not happening. Um, another thing that you said, and I don't, uh, you said that you wanted, you, you, um, imagine pausing life. Did you ever have like suicidal thoughts or was it more like, I just can't do the day? I did. Um, I just always, and I don't know if you relate to this, I literally always gaslight myself into being like, well, you never attempted, so maybe you really didn't and you really like I I think in my head I'll like try to gaslight myself that I wasn't like but yes, like I would bike, we biked to the gym and I would bike in the morning and I would literally think about what if I just swerved into traffic and then I didn't have to live my day because I don't want to do this day right now. Um you know, but Someone once asked me, like, why did you never act on the thoughts? Um, Which I think is a great question. And I had never thought about it until this man asked me after I spoke at this school. And I said that although I was in a situation in an environment that was really, like, uh, tough for me and I felt depressed, I also had the awareness that there was more to my life and that there was more than this. And I think when you start to have the existential thoughts, they can either really scare you or give you some sort of hope. And I think when I thought about how there's millions and millions of people in the world and so many people don't know me and they don't even know I have practice and they don't even know that like, like it doesn't matter as much. I think people can think like nothing matters and then freak out. But I thought, you know, nothing matters. This is so dumb. Like, you know, and I also just having the love of my family and a support system and best friends, like I was able to recognize that I could 
I could remove myself from the situation if I needed to. And I did that. Uh, the end of my junior year, I took a mental health leave because I was like, this is the end of year three season three and I'm still feeling this way and um I'll tell I'll actually just share this little story because I think it's powerful we were playing in the elite eight um which if anyone watches March Madness or the NCAA tournaments um the elite eight is obviously right before the final four and the final four is like everything you work for as a college athlete and we were on national television, thousands of people. We we're going to upset Florida. And I'm I'm literally in the game. And we are a point away from a Final Four. And I'm thinking to myself, I just don't want to be here. Like, I don't care if we win and I don't care if we lose. I just want to go home because I don't want to be here. And to me, that's like such a state of depression where here I am like seconds away from maybe everything I've ever wanted as an athlete and I don't care about it because I have no feeling. (laughs) Um, And, you know, that was my, in that moment, I was like, yeah, I'm not coming back for spring ball. Like I need to take a break. Um, So it's a long-winded answer to your question, but just like I, yes, I had those thoughts, um, but I also you know, knew I would have support from the people in my life if I decided to take a break or leave the environment. And um, I think one footnote I just want to say is like, I loved my time at USC and I loved playing volleyball there and I loved the people and I wouldn't change it for the world. I truly believe that you could put me on any team at any school and like that was bound to happen because it was the, the what's the word? Cul- culmination? What's the, culmination. it was- Yeah. Of everything in my life that led me to like achieving at such a high level and then truly like feeling like I was breaking under the pressure. So it's, it's totally a personal thing. And I think that if you put this mind back in that 18 year old tomorrow to relive it, it would be a lot different because I have the tools and the experience and I I could do it. So I just want to say that, um, and USC has been so supportive in everything I talk about, um, which is great. I think there are scenarios where I would have had a school that would have silenced me. Um, but I had teammates who supported me and a school that supported me. Um, so I was grateful. And I think because of the support, I knew I could make a change and that's what really, um, really lights me on fire when I think about other people um, who unfortunately don't make it out of their battle because of maybe the feeling that they can't tell the people that they love or that they won't be accepted or they can't quit or they can't leave. And like, I just want those people to know you, like there's so much more to life out there and like you, you can um, pursue pursue better. I am not going to be naive and say you can choose happy because anyone who's been depressed hates it when people say that. Um, but you can choose the pursuit of something different. And I think that I knew I could, I could do that. Uh, thank you for sharing that story. Cause it literally gave me chills. And, um, I, th- first why I asked you that is, you know, I love how you're honest of like, I gaslight myself because that is how when people ask me where I was, I always am like, um, I didn't, <laughs> I was like, well, I just thought about what it would be like to just not have to live this day. <laughs> and that is <laughs> right. like, I remember laying in bed and just being like, I just don't want to wake up. But when people ask me if I was suicidal, I'm like, no, 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 I, I wasn't. Right. Right. <laughs> um, because I think I also like knew, um, like my faith was so important to me, but, and I, I knew the truth, 
I didn't feel it, but I think that's why I never also like didn't act on it. Um, because I, I knew that there was more to life than this and that I wanted that. And maybe honestly being like a high achiever, I was like, no, I have to have this. Like, this is something that, um, I need, like, I feel like rock bottom and I, I, I want to climb out. I just don't know how, but when you're also, um, when you talked about that, that time when you're playing in that one of that big game, that is such a representation of what depression is like. It doesn't matter if like, I know we're both Taylor Swift fans. Like I could be Taylor Swift's best friend. She could bring me on stage when I was depressed and I would still be, and that's saying something I would still be like, I might cry and, and not because I'm happy because I just need to go home and be in a dark room. It doesn't mean that you're not grateful. It doesn't mean that you're like, you worked your whole life to be in this moment. And it doesn't even mean that you don't have the support. It's just, that is what it, it feels so empty. Like I love how you said, I didn't feel anything. I could, could not feel happy, could not feel even angry. I just, I just felt like I was. I felt numb. I felt completely numb. And it is a chemical imbalance. So Mm -hmm. that's why, like, and that's why this stigma around mental health can be so harmful is people, like, if you cut your leg open and you needed stitches and attention from a doctor, like, would, would you say, no, I should just be strong enough and will this to heal and like not be a baby about it? No. Like, and when you're dealing with mental illness in any way, you have something, there is a scratch on your brain. There's some injury in your brain that it needs attention. It needs rest. It needs treatment. And you can't just think your way out of it. Um, and I think there's, that's a major mis, uh, understanding with, I think just the general public and people and mental health, because the stigma of it being weakness or you're crazy, uh, really deters people from feeling like they can seek the help. Absolutely. I mean, I think you talking about the grind culture being just like added extra like stress on even getting support because I think, although I wasn't an athlete, I also felt like, hmm, I can't quit because that means I'm not working hard enough or like pain is good. You have to push through the pain. Like that's part of it. Um, and I think what you've done, especially for those people that are athletes and showing that, yes, there's, there's a total difference of, yeah, there, you have to, you know, feel the pain to have the gains. Like, I think that, that that's true in some ways that, you have to push yourself um, to get to this other level. Um, and I think that can be great in some ways, but you also have to know and have the support of when it's too much, like how it's affecting your mental health. And you, I mean, weren't you, you were still in college when you had this big tag talk. Like, What was that like stepping out and doing that? Um, did you have any reservations about it? Um, and then what was the support and the reaction to that from other athletes? Definitely. Before I answer that, I loved your point about like knowing when you need to hold back. And, um, in Kobe Bryant's book, geese are never swans. He has a beautiful quote. 
Um, and it says sometimes it takes more strength to hold back than it does to push. And I think that's so underrated. Like it takes so much strength to hold back or to admit what you're feeling or to be honest. And it is easier to act like nothing's wrong sometimes. And I think we need to start flipping the, you know, you're, you are strong if you seek the help and you acknowledge, you know, what it is that you're going through. Um, but so I gave the TED talk my sophomore year. Uh, it was like fate um, that I was at a good place in therapy and that TEDx came to USC and then I tried out to be a speaker and I got called back and I went through the audition process and then I got cut and then I got brought back like at the last minute um, and then I got it. So um, it was a crazy experience, um, but it absolutely changed my life. Like if I think about something that changed the trajectory of my life, it was that. And um the feedback was great um, from my teammates. You know, at that point, they were all like, you know, please tell the world, like speak on our behalf. Like we were very open about mental health in our locker room. Um, the school was super supportive. Like after that, I then, you know, co-directed and produced this body image video with the Players Tribune and USC Media, you know, signed off to let me do that. So that was great. Today is about looking for new ways to better ourselves, but sometimes that means looking in a totally different place or even a different state. In South Dakota, travel is transformative. It's good for the soul. It's the kind of place to just let go, to escape from routine and predictability of life, to put down the phone and pick up a sense of adventure and to see the world a little bit differently, as in not through our screen. Life in South Dakota is about unplugging from it all and connecting with the world around you. It's about being open to real surprises and treating your senses to a real, raw, natural beauty that doesn't need a filter. Whether you're exploring the mountains and trees of the Black Hills, hiking through the Badlands, navigating the wild towns, or camping under the stars, South Dakota is the place to get a little lost and find yourself along the way. See why there's so much South Dakota, so little time at TravelSouthDakota.com. There are a lot of times that I shouldn't have trusted my gut. Usually involves some type of ice cream and pizza situation where I think it's totally okay to eat a whole pint of ice cream or a whole pizza. Probiotics can't help you with most of your gut decisions, but if your gut needs a little support, Ritual has your back. Ritual has made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and postbiotics to support a balanced gut microbiome. All in one minty capsule, no refrigeration needed. Ritual products are rigorously tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals. They are a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable to not just the company's financial health, but also the health of people in our planet. I love my Ritual products, but I really, really love the Symbiotic Plus. I take it every day. I love the little minty capsule because usually, you know, some of the little things that we have to take for our gut just don't smell, taste the best, but I love the minty flavor. Um, but it's something that I just think has really helped me um, and my gut health. And there's no shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash Hannah B. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash Hannah B for 25% off.
speaking of your authenticity, I love your content on social media. Um, what would you say from that Ted talk experience that like make you feel almost the need or the, um, acceptance to be able to show that side of yourself and just what are your, what is your relationship with social media now and really being so authentic and so real, um, when there are hundreds of thousands, millions of people consuming your content? Yeah. Um, that was definitely like that whole season of my life, the Ted talk. And then, uh, you know, just how I was using social media and with my body image, like I, that was really like a soul searching time for me where I started being really honest and vulnerable and posting whatever I wanted. And I stopped face tuning and editing my pictures. And I just like leaned into just like being who I am. Um, and that was very captivating for people. And it's what helped me build my platform in the first place was just the interest and then people watching the talk and then finding me online. And, you know, then I started to realize, oh, I can share more. I can post more. Like I'm only a sophomore. So that's kind of the evolution in a nutshell. And then now, um, I would say like, I definitely think I have subconsciously become not filtered because I'm anti-filter and I tell my audience, like, I don't even swipe right, swipe right to Paris. Like we're keeping it real, real. Um, Mm -hmm. however, I do put a lot of pressure on myself to make sure everything that I post is gonna hit for every human. And it's just not, that's impossible. But I really want everyone to like me. I want everyone to like my content. I want everyone, you know, to follow me. And that's just not realistic. And that's something that I'm dealing with now is showing up more uh, fearlessly and not being so afraid of people not liking what I posted that day or just not liking me. Or, you know, sometimes, Hannah, I'm really self-conscious that, you know, I'm, my brand has evolved so much that it did start with these athlete mental health conversations, but now I'm not an athlete and I'm 26 and I'm married and I, I post about style and I, you know, I still, I'm always going to have this through line of being real. That's the core of everything that I do, but the message and the words are different these days. And I get self-conscious about that. And I, then that's when I struggle with, okay, well then who am I? And well, if I don't say I'm a volleyball player because I'm not anymore, like what's my title and why would they care? And so, and it's funny when I say that because people always say, we don't care. Like I love, I love seeing everything with your husband and I love watching your intuitive eating videos. And I love like your Taylor Swift videos, like they don't care. So it's really this, this own thing where I'm still working through my identity issues. Uh, I relate to that because people follow me because I was dated a bunch of guys. There are reasons why people follow me that my life is not that way anymore. So I also struggle with, um, you know, I had this, uh, thought that I still like, struggle with like, Oh, I'm more, I'm boring now that I'm healthy. <laughs> like, to be honest, I watched my old things and I'm like, that was very entertaining, not healthy at all. She looks crazy, but she's funny. And now I'm like, Oh, like I don't have as much drama in my life. And that's why I feel like people like me. Um, and I'm flipping this script and same thing. It's like, 
I get messages all the time. Be like, I, I have been on your journey with you. We're around the same age and I'm growing as well watching you. And I think that's the same, like our audience, as we continue to have people come, they're growing with us. And, uh, obviously where our content is going to change, but there's still, still that through line. And I can say from your content of that authenticity. And that's why people followed you in the first place. It's not because you're a college athlete. It's the authenticity and the honesty. And as long as that's being brought to everything, then people are going to connect. And I'm saying this and talking to myself right now. Well, it's um, so funny to hear you say it. And I'm sure I speak for everyone who listens to your podcast. Like I, and like, there's very few girls or women who like, I just like, like them, like, and I don't know them. Like I have never known you personally until today, but after two hours of deep talks, I feel like we know each other really well. But, um, like I, I just think you're cool and I think you're, uh, smart and I think you're tough and I think you're a good person. And like, that's why I'm interested in following you like years beyond the bachelor. Um, and I'm sure that's why also, like, there's not many people who make it out of that franchise and have the empire you have. You have that because people love you. There's um, hundreds of people who go on that show and do a lot on that show and still don't have the follow through on the other end. But you have that, like, special sauce, you know? Victoria, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I um, just love and want to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. I, I feel... Like I have learned so much from just what you've posted and like seeing your journey. And I know that other people are really inspired and talking about just your journey with mental health. Um, it's, it's helping a lot of people. And so I'm glad that you could come on and continue that conversation with me. And I just think you're really cool and excited for um, all things going on. And the most excited that you're a seven for Taylor Swift um, in LA. I hope that's wonderful for you. Me too. I literally wish we were on the same day. That would have been too good to be true. But thank you so much. And I think you're a superstar and I love following you and seeing what you're up to. And I'm so happy you started a podcast. I'm sure people are like so hyped and I'm honored to be a part of your first selection of guests and episodes. So thank you so much. And um, I'll see you at Eras. <laughs> Treat dad to the good stuff at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts dad will love up to 60% off. Shirts, activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama, Cole Haan, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make dad's day with gifts up to 60% off. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.